Welcome to Color Me Green, a podcast focused on making the world a greener place. I have been so excited to research today's episode. I actually remember the day I first heard about this and researched it, and that was the day I decided to make this podcast. Well, because of today's topic, along with many others, and my love for learning on how to improve myself and my actions that affect the environment. So without further ado, today we are learning about composting. Seriously, I want to try this so bad. I hate throwing away food scraps and seeing others do the same. So today we are going to learn about the negative effects of those food scraps and an alternative way to dispose of them. Composting is a natural process of recycling organic material, such as food scraps and yard waste, that is broken down by naturally occurring bacteria, worms, etc. Compost is the resulting decomposed matter, which often looks a lot like garden soil. It's rich with nutrients and can be used for gardening and agriculture. Today we are focusing more on home composting, which is a great way to keep your organic discards out of the waste stream. I had a hard time finding any negative effects of composting, other than it being smelly, depending on the method you choose. It can also be time consuming and it can release some methane gases, but not as much as landfill but these all depend on the method you choose to go with. So as far as the benefits, that's really all there is, just good. The good outweighs the bad, and that to me makes it 100% worth it. One of the biggest benefits is obviously that of creating an environmentally friendly alternative to landfill disposal. According to a 2015 EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency, study on municipal solid waste, natural waste consists of 26.5% of paper product, 7.5% wood, 7.6% yard trimmings, and 16.4% food scraps. That's 57.8% of total waste created that could be used for composting and reduce landfill waste by over 50%. Food waste is not only a significant burden on the environment, but it's also costly. The average cost to landfill solid waste in the U.S. was around $55 per ton in 2019. The U.S. generated 292.4 million tons of solid waste in 2018, 146 million tons, or 50% of that, was sent to landfills. Doing the math, that's $80 billion. I don't know about you, but I could definitely think of a few better things that we could spend that type of money on every year. Another benefit of composting is that it can be used as a soil and agriculture enhancement. When mature compost becomes a nutrient-rich material, it's capable of amending formerly depleted soil by replenishing it with carbon and other plant nutrients like phosphorus, potassium, and nitrogen, and neutralizing pH soil levels, which is welcoming to a wider variety of plants. Composting physically creates a solid soil surface to prevent soil erosion, and it improves the workability of tricky soil types by adding water retention to fast-draining sandy soils, frayability to firm, unworkable soil, and drainage to clay-based soils. It's found to be especially useful in areas of reforestation and environmental restoration, as it can help regulate soil temperature, extending growing seasons and increasing moisture retention. Compost is also a natural pesticide and fertilizer, as it is rich in bacteria and fungi that prevent insect infestation and suppress weed growth. 
The soil is rich in nutrients, so it reduces the need for chemical fertilizers. Another big benefit of composting is that it reduces greenhouse gases. When organic matter decomposes, it undergoes aerobic decomposition, meaning it's broken down by organisms that require oxygen. When compostable waste goes to a landfill, it gets buried under massive amounts of other trash, cutting off a regular supply of oxygen for decomposers. Waste that undergoes anaerobic decomposition is being broken down by organisms that can live without free-flowing oxygen, creating biogas, which is 50% methane and 50% carbon dioxide. Both are potent greenhouse gases. Landfills are actually the third largest source of human-generated methane emissions in the U.S. When you compost at home, you are reducing your carbon footprint by steering it into the soil. Now, I had no idea this was a thing, but apparently San Francisco established a large-scale composting program in 1996, and by 2012, they were able to divert 80% of waste from landfills. This process has helped avoid 90,000 metric tons of carbon emissions every year. That's equivalent to the annual greenhouse gas emissions from 20,000 passenger vehicles. Sure, that's like only taking away 20,000 cars, but that's also just one city. Imagine if other cities started participating in programs like this. And other cities have, like Seattle. As of 2015, composting programs have served 3.8 million U.S. households. The progress may be slow, but people are starting to catch on. Now let's get into different types of composting. There are a ton of ways to compost, but I just looked up a few popular methods and we're going to discuss those. Finding the best method for you depends on a few factors. Where you live and your availability of space, how much and what kind of organic waste you produce, and the amount of time you can spend on the process. Before we get into this, I should probably explain how to form a successful compost pile and the basic ingredients you'll need. A basic compost is composed of three ingredients. Browns, which are carbon-rich materials such as dead plant matter like leaves, and wood-based materials like twigs, paper, and cardboard. Greens, that are nitrogen-rich materials such as live plant material like grass trimmings, vegetable waste, fruit cores, coffee grounds, eggshells, and other kitchen scraps. Water is the third ingredient. Most organic materials will generate their own moisture as they break down, but sometimes a little water must be added to achieve the desired damp sponge consistency, especially in hot climates. Now onto composting methods. The first method we are going to discuss is open air composting or hot and cold composting. It's traditionally a pile of green and brown matter. Cold or passive composting breaks down organic matter slowly, but it takes the least amount of effort and maintenance. So this process is probably the best for people who are busy, work a lot, have a family, or are away from home often. This is the best process if you have little organic waste and not much time to tend to the process. It can take about one to two years to get any usable compost. It's also unlikely to reach a high enough temperature during decomposition to kill off any pathogens, so there may be some lingering harmful pathogenic bacteria, fungi, worms, and other parasites and weed seeds, depending on what you put in your pile. Cold composting is primarily anaerobic and is often smellier and more wet than hot piles, which is weird because you'd think that the hot pile would smell more, but you know, we're here to learn together. <laughs> Hot or active composting is a faster and more managed process that requires attention to keep carbon and nitrogen at optimum ratios to decompose organic waste. 
This process requires a light balance of air and water to attract organisms that thrive in an oxygen-rich environment. In the right conditions, you can have a final mature compost in about four weeks to a year. If managed correctly, high temperatures of the pile will destroy most weeds, plant diseases, pesticides, herbicides, and any bug, larvae, or eggs. The next type of composting is direct composting. This method consists of simply digging a hole or a trench that is about 12 to 24 inches deep and burying your scraps. Direct composting should be odorless, invisible, and easier to maintain. It's best suited to single application of materials, meaning you should have one hole per distribution of waste. So let's say in a few weeks or a month you have more waste, you should dig a new hole to allow the product to fully develop which takes about a year, if not sooner, in ideal conditions. It's best to bury your waste where you'd like the nutrients to end up because this method's final product cannot be harvested. Vermicomposting, I hope I'm saying that right, is probably one of my favorite on this list. I'm not exactly sure why. It's the one that I researched when I was first looking up composting and it was the one that I was like, oh my god, this is so cool, worms. <laughs> It's worm composting. It's an indoor-outdoor all-year-round option. I feel like I'm really selling composting right now with worms. <laughs> Vermicomposting produces natural odorless castings which are a nutrient-rich fertilizer in about three to six months. It requires very little maintenance and you can purchase cheap worm composters in stores online or you can make one. A wooden or plastic bin with holes in the sides and bottoms is best for ventilation and drainage. It should be raised up off the ground to allow excess fluid to flow out. And bedding and soil, such as shredded paper and cardboard or dried leaves and straw, should be added to allow airflow and moisture for the worms. The worms should be fed by burying the waste under the bedding. Ideal foods include fruit and vegetable scraps, bread and grains, coffee grounds, and used tea leaves. No fats or oils or anything thick like watermelon rinds or corn cobs. If you are looking into worm composting, the best worms to purchase are red wigglers. They are easy to maintain. They prefer compost environments to regular soil. They should be fed about once a week and a typical compost should have about a pound of worms. I read that they can eat half or more of their body weight in a day, but I also read that this isn't meant for someone who creates a lot of waste. Since the worms are small, you don't want to put too much in the compost because you want to make sure that they eat everything you give them before you start adding more in. So this may be best for a single individual who cooks at home often, or maybe a couple who cooks at home a few days a week or so. I definitely love this option, and I want to try it when I have more room. I want to have little wormies in a bin in my compost pile. <laughs> the next composting method is tumbler composting. Tumblers can be purchased at local hardware stores or online. They are a sealed container that is on an axle or a base that can be rotated with a handle. By turning the compost you are mixing the waste which helps create aerobic conditions to break down material and speed up the decomposition process. In ideal conditions, you can have a finished compost in about three weeks, but a month or two is more common. The last method we are going to discuss is food recyclers. I had no idea this was a thing, so I'm very glad that it came up. These can be purchased for about $400, so this is definitely the pricier of our methods. A food recycler is the more modern version of traditional composting, and waste can go from plate to garden in a single day or less. 
There is no turning, odors, or pests, and it allows you to compost meat, dairy, some bones, and processed foods. A food recycler is quiet and small space friendly. There are zero carbon emissions, however it does use electricity. There's zero maintenance and its byproduct is sterile and pathogen free. So now that we have gone over the different ways you can compost, let's discuss what exactly you can and cannot put into those composts. You can compost anything that comes from the ground. A few waste items that you can include in your pile are fruits and veggies, small pieces of uncoated cardboard and paper, coffee grounds, eggshells, grass clippings, hay, straw, houseplants, leaves, shredded newspaper, sawdust, tea bags, and more. What you cannot put in your compost are waste products such as dairy products, fats, oils, and grease. They create odor and attract pests. Diseased or insect-ridden plants. Their diseases or insects may survive and be transmitted to other plants. Meat, fish bones, and scraps create odor problems, they attract pests, and they might carry pathogens. Yard trimmings treated with chemical pesticides might kill beneficial composting organisms. All of these products should not be composted at home, but they may be accepted by community curbside or drop-off composting programs. I don't know about you, but when I think about food waste, and especially when it's not covered, I think about the bugs, especially those pesky little fruit flies that are likely to populate. A few things you can do to prevent fruit flies, or to get rid of them once they've appeared, is to increase the carbon-rich browns in your pile. This will help your waste dry out. Fruit flies will primarily attach to greens and are less likely to linger if you bury greens under a layer of browns. Another thing you can do is to boil your food before adding it to your pile to make it less enticing to the flies. You can also hold off on adding new materials for a few days and this will force the flies to look for food elsewhere. Or you could just make or buy fruit fly traps. So once you've made the compost, what are some ways you could use the finished product? It's important to remember that the compost needs to be entirely stabilized and mature before it can be used. Immature compost can damage plants and attract rodents and other pests. A finished, mature compost can be identified with these few characteristics. Its texture will be crumbly and smooth without recognizable scraps. It'll smell like rich earth. Any traces of ammonia or sour odors means the compost needs more time to mature. It should be dark and rich in color and about one-third the size of your original pile. Once you have identified your compost as mature and stable, it's ready to use. Your compost can be used as mulch, it can be added to potting soil, worked into crop beds, distributed on lawns, mixed into garden beds, or added to the soil around fruit trees. There are just so many great ways to use the finished compost, not to mention all the benefits soil gets from it. Are you going to try your hand at composting? Which process would you most likely use? Whichever you choose, composting is one of the best things you can do for your home, garden, and the environment. I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Color Me Green. New episodes are going to come out weekly, and hopefully each one has something you can take away and learn from. I currently have a ton of episodes planned, but if you want to request a certain topic to discuss, please feel free to message me on the show's Instagram at Color Me Green Podcast, linked in the show notes. If you loved today's episode, please make sure to leave a review as I will be randomly picking reviews every week as they roll in to read on the show. 
One of the best ways to help change the world is to share this episode with a friend and let them also learn what they can do to live more sustainably. And as always, remember to reduce, reuse, recycle, and live green. See you next week.